Good morning, Mount Helena Community Church. Hope you're doing well this fine fall morning. Does hunting season start next week? Oh, boy. Those of you that are going to be gone for the next six weeks, I just, good luck. I hope you get something right away, so we'll see you back here. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Isn't that a terrible feeling? One time when I was a kid, I can't believe I'm telling this story on myself. There are some things that just don't end up in your notes, and then when you get up here and you're about to share it, you're like, why did I just open my mouth and start telling that story? I climbed up an eight-foot ladder with a canvas sheet thinking I could parachute off the top of it. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? (laughs) We've been talking about the rest of God, and and, um, it's like the world got the wind knocked out of it. Like everything going on, it's like you got hit really hard, and the breath goes out of you, and you get disoriented, and you panic, and fear comes in, or uh, who knows what. And i just thinking about the state of things uh, worldwide, but also right here in Helena, right here in this church, even in each one of our lives. The chaos of the circumstances and the times have really knocked the wind out of people and out of things that we're doing. We get distracted. You get hit really hard. I'm sure none of you have ever been in a fist fight before. We used to do that when we were kids. They don't do that anymore. It's disorienting. And life has punched some people in the face. And they can't see. Their nose is bloody. Their eyes are watering. And the wind has been knocked out of them. It's really just a picture in my mind about what's going on in the world. So as we're talking about resting in God, now is one of those moments in time where maybe physically that's not what's happening, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally, that's what, ha- what has been going on. There's a serious disorientation going on, and what happens is our vision shifts. When your eyes are watering and you can't see and you lose sight, you kind of look down to just gain your bearings and hold your ground But God hasn't called us to live staring at our feet. He hasn't called us to live in a disoriented fear and chaos. He's called us to order. He's that strong tower, that deliverer. And I hope that during this series and and whatever you're doing with your life to encourage yourself that you are finding yourself rising above the chaos and looking at a bigger picture, realizing we serve a bigger God. That's so much more than the moment in time in which we find ourselves. I'm, I'm deeply concerned. I've been sharing this a lot this last year. It's, I'm, you know, I'm concerned about the actual events that are going on. But what's more deeply concerning is what's going on in the hearts and minds of people. And so what do we do in a moment where the world is driving fear and chaos and whatever into our minds? We go to God. We go to the word of God. We run to that strong tower. We find our hope in him. We bring ourselves into alignment with his principles. Do you remember why the world is broken? Why does this not really work? Why does this all around us, why does it die and fail and 
find itself in disorder all the time. Because in the beginning, man made a choice to pull himself out of alignment with God. We call it sin. Sin is misalignment, ultimately, in his definition. God is perfectly aligned. Everything about him is perfect and good. And when we separate ourselves from his goodness and his character and his nature, we find ourselves living only halfway. We find ourselves in a disoriented state. When man chose to sin in the garden, creation broke, and it's broken today. And when we, do not bring our, when, we, when we don't bring ourselves into alignment with God in our day-to-day lives, our lives will, will, will end up eating the fruit of chaos and disorder because we're out of alignment with God. And so we're constantly reminding ourselves by going to his word and looking at who he is and looking at his principles so that we can pull ourselves into alignment so that we don't have to be a victim of the chaos and the fear and the disorder. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? My heart in, in bringing this, these ideas of resting in God is that there is a serious issue going on in the church and in the world at large. It's very serious. And so what do we do in that moment? We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You're not, you're not going to legislate us back into some victorious position. Only God. Only God. He is our hope. He is our tower. And when we bring ourselves into his principles and his way, there are many good things for us. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. This is a song of Moses that is recorded in the Psalms. And in verse 12 it says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Today I want to start talking about numbering our days and wisdom. And before I do that, though, I want to recap the actions that we have talked about over the last few weeks. So if you go to that first slide, the first thing we talked about, when we want to find rest in God, when we want to get ourselves in alignment and stop striving for ourselves and being our own God, and we want to put him on the throne in our lives so that we can rest in him, what are some of the things that we need to do? Number one, we talked about taking every thought captive to obey Christ. If my mind is out of control, I'm not going to be experiencing the peace of God. But when I take my thoughts captive and I hold them up to the word of, the God, of God and, and, if they, and make them obey, then I'm going to experience better things. Let's go to the next one. Pay attention. Stop to pay attention. We get going so fast that we don't pay any attention to what's actually going on around us. And we miss God in the moment. Be still and know that he is God. Let's go to the third one. Practice the sovereignty of God. Romans 8, 28, he works all things together. Do we really trust God with our lives? Do we really believe that if we're submitted to him, he's going to be guiding us in a good direction? Yes, we do. We want to practice the sovereignty of God. And then Ryan Dahlke shared with us last week uh, to give yourself rest and pray for guidance. To give yourself rest and pray, pray for guidance. And this week I want to start talking about numbering our days. What do you think of when I say numbering your days? Well, we can count them. I don't know how many I have left. You don't know how many you have left. Sometimes we've had a close call with death and we stop when we go, I am mortal, I don't have forever. Moses says, teach us to number our days for a purpose that we may get a heart of wisdom. The world and the church right now are dying for wisdom. 
in such desperate need of the principles of God, a wisdom from him to navigate the times. Remember in the, in, when Solomon became king over Israel, he, could, he basically had a genie in the bottle situation with God where he could ask for whatever he wanted. He got, you get one wish. What are you going to wish for, Solomon? And Solomon said, I want wisdom to lead your people. And God said, you choose wisely. I'm going to bless you in every way because you chose wisely for wisdom. And you and I today need to be seeking the wisdom of God so that we can understand the times and number our days, realize that life is short. Here's an issue, though, when you start to realize that life is short. You don't have much time left. What happens when you realize you're going to run out of something? What do you do? You start clinging to it. You start getting stingy with it. Let's talk about money for a minute. I'm going to make a lot of correlations between time and money today. And I want you to understand, I I know that these passages, many of them that I will use today, are specific to money. But I think they draw our attention to the character of God and are applicable in many different things. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this is also vanity. Ecclesiastes 5.10. We're going to have lots of Ecclesiastes today. Yes, I love it. That's my goal every week. How can I squeeze some Ecclesiastes into my message? He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. See, we know this. When we, we, we... When we count our money, we we heard a testimony from Jen this morning in our huddle before service about how God had really provided for them. You know, when you look at the balance in your checking account, you start counting the dollars that you have. And you have, a lot of times, uh, we end up in this situation where we have more month than we do money, as Dave Ramsey would say. I'm going to run out of money, so I need to start reserving some. I need to start hanging on to it. And I think there is a wisdom in doing the math and budgeting and all those kind of things. There's some wisdom there. But when money becomes our God, when we begin to worship it, when we begin to cling it stingily like it's mine, then we start to find ourselves in some bad situations. It becomes scarce. We start to recognize that there's a scarcity of money. And then we have some heart issues we start coming into combat with in ourselves. When we realize life is short, I don't have enough time. How many of you have enough time? How many of you are just like, man, I got all the time in the world? All kinds of time. I don't see any hands in this room. What, I, I hear this all, the almost number one response. We've talked about this. How are you doing? I'm busy. What does busy mean? I don't have time. I don't have enough of it. When we don't have enough of something, we really have to start counting them? How are we going to use them? What am I going to apply myself to with this time? I want to suggest to you today that it's not a matter of math. It's a matter of the heart. And that's what I think God wants to get to in us. See, when things are scarce, we start to behave strangely. I want to tell you a story. It's going to sound vaguely familiar to you. This is out of uh, The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. How many of you have ever, ever heard anyone use Johnny Carson as an example in a sermon? Did you ever think the day would come that somebody would stand up here and talk about, well, I'm going to. In 1973, the comedian Johnny Carson nearly caused a national crisis with a single wisecrack. Anybody know what this is? Who was alive in 1973? 
you got, some of you are going to re- maybe going to remember this as I tell it. That was the year North America's long flight of post-war prosperity fell to earth like a shot goose in one ungainly plummet. There was runaway inflation. There were oil and food shortages. All the abundance that Americans had come to see as their due, their birthright, suddenly seemed in jeopardy. Kind of sounds familiar. And so on December 19th, 1973, at 11.35 p.m., when Johnny Carson walked on the live studio set of The Tonight Show and quipped, there's an acute shortage of toilet paper in the United States. It wasn't funny. The joke had a toehold in reality. Earlier in the day, Congressman Harold Frolich from Wisconsin had warned that if the federal bureaucracy didn't get its act together soon and catch up on its supply bids, government agencies would run out of toilet tissue within a month or two. Carson took this shard of trivia and played it for a laugh. Then, as was his trademark, he swung at an invisible golf ball, took a commercial break, and went on with the show. Not so with the nation. 20 million viewers flew into panic. The next morning, hundreds of thousands of frantic shoppers lined up outside the supermarkets of America, poised to dash to the paper aisles and stockpile rolls, fighting over bundles of two-ply and four-ply. There were brawls in the aisleways and scrums at the checkout. Some store managers tried to limit sales, four rolls per customer, but they had no way of monitoring how many times the customer came back, and most came back repeatedly. By noon on December 20th, mere hours after Johnny's flippant remark, America was sold out. (laughs) I never saw anything like it, one day's grocer in New Jersey said. Johnny Carson's one off-handed gag line had sparked a national run on toilet tissue. We are generally gullible about news of scarcity. We have it seems an inbuilt skittishness about shortfall. This has been with us a long while, since the garden, in my reckoning. Who knew in 1973 that again in 2020 there would be another run on toilet paper? One of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life. What happens? I I know a lot of you participated in that. It's okay, I don't judge you. I probably did to some extent too. Because who wants to run out of toilet paper, right? But here's what happens. When we begin to believe that something is in short supply or scarce, we begin, our heart begins to be revealed about who we are. You have a limited amount of time. You have a limited amount of money. You have a limited amount of resources at your disposal, and those things begin to reveal the heart of a person. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you possess uh, shows something about who you are. Money and time are both great tests of our heart. Stinginess is a parasite. Stinginess drives us to hoard. And we hoard things even to destruction, don't we? Stinginess is very unhealthy for us. It's like keeping something just so it can compost and not be put to use. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Stinginess is a matter of the heart. 
And of course, this is very, I think, easy to picture and apply to money. But generosity is actually an issue of the heart and the whole of who we are. I want to encourage you today to begin to think about whether or not you're stingy with your time. Whether or not you're hoarding your time in a fearful manner. Whether or not you're panicking in response to your tight schedule. We do have tight schedules. We have a lot to do. But I think God has called us to look at time differently than the world does. The Greeks had two different words for time. I'm going to spend some time talking about this this morning and looking at the difference. Now, these aren't necessarily... uh, Two words that are found all the time in scripture, but I think the concept um, is found there. First Greek word I want to talk to you about is the word chronos. You know what chronos is? You've heard words like chronological, chronology, chronicles. It's, it's the idea that um, time is mathematical. It's, it's a structure like that, and that's true. That is a very real part of what time is. We get the Kronos that actually was a Greek god, like a lower level god. And he's horrible. I actually tried to look for um, some pictures to share with you of some artwork about Kronos. They're so violent and bloody, it's disturbing. I couldn't put it on the board because I would get complaints. Kronos had an insatiable, he was cannibalistic, and he had an insatiable appetite. So much so that he ate his own children. That produced some really gross artwork over the years. Kronos is the presiding deity of the driven. So this idea of Kronos is the idea that time is a forced march. You are a slave to it. It's never satisfied. It can never be made content. And sometimes we feel like that in life. Our, our time is driving us as a slave. And when that happens, when you're the slave of something, it's your God. It's your God. It's driving you. And sometimes, you know, particularly in our culture, in American culture, we have to, it's such a prevalent thing. One of the number one issues around here about getting volunteers and getting people to participate and contribute to the vision of what we're trying to accomplish here at the church is, I don't have enough time. I'm driven by all of these other things that control my life, control my schedule, control my calendar. And I want to challenge those things today. How are we prioritizing? This entire chaotic situation in the world has disrupted our priorities or uncovered them uncomfortably. And our priorities become very visible. And it's like, oh, where is my heart? I'm being tested. Where is my heart in all of this? In a difficult time, how am I holding up? Kronos is a slave driver. Now, we all have to work. We're called to work. We're meant to work. God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. I run into people all the time that are trying to figure out how to live their life without being able to work. The scripture calls you to work. You're called to work. You have a contribution to the community to make. All those things are healthy. You're gifted. We need you in our society and life. We need all of these people to make it work. We're called to work. But what is toil? 
When, when work and, and time become our masters, we begin to po- toil and strive, trying to feed something that's insatiable, that is unsatisfiable, if that's a word. I just made it if it isn't. You know, we know that uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you're familiar with it constantly, or a number of times, Solomon comes back to this idea that to eat and drink and enjoy, you know, enjoy the fruits of your labor, enjoy the wife of your youth, all of these things. He draws back to this simplicity, this ability to enjoy and, and, and love God and be at peace in the middle of the toilsome thing. He says, that is a gift of God. That is something that God gives us in our toilsome life under the sun that we live. Kairos is the other word I want to talk about in terms of time, a way of thinking about time. So you've got this way of thinking about time, and it's not wrong. It's part of our reality. We have calendars, we have schedules, we have responsibilities. Those are all good. It's part of our life. But then there's another concept of time called kairos. Kairos doesn't look at time like a schedule or a possession. It looks at time as a gift. And that starts to ring true in my heart when it comes to the scripture. What do I have that I wasn't really given? I might think I earned my money. I might think I did everything to get everything that I have, whether it be financially, emotionally, mentally. I worked for it. Sure, I did. But in a sense, I wouldn't have received any of it if God had not given it to me in the first place. And my time is no different. My days are numbered. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a wise heart. It's limited. But it's a gift, not a possession. Kairos communicates this idea about time that is pregnant with a purpose. There's something purposeful about the moment. It's not just a toilsome, mundane, day after day. It kind of goes back to the idea of paying attention. That it isn't, it isn't about what time is it. It's about what's this time for? What has God designed this moment for? Do I see my time and my process in life? Am I paying enough attention to know that actually God has a purpose in all these things? Even the messy chaos of the world today. And if I'm wise, I can recognize the times and go, God has a, something purposeful going on in my life and in the world around me. That's a Kairos understanding of time. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. Can I just, there's a little bit of a side note here, but sometimes I have interactions and conversations in the community or in the church where living sinfully is just dismissed as no big deal. And yes, God's grace is sufficient. He covers our sin. He forgives our sin. But it's never something we're just meant to take advantage of for our own pleasure. Right? We want to take advantage of it for our salvation, for sure. But we don't take advantage of it for our own pleasure. And the scripture is full of this. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. How would you like to have no evil thing getting a toehold in your life? Then follow the commands of God. Bring yourself into alignment with his principles. And God will be with you. The wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. It's just one of the things I'm, I'm crying out for for myself and the world around me. And I hope you are too. For a wise heart. In the times, 
a wisdom in the moment, recognizing that our sovereign God has purpose in all of the times that we go through, in all of the things that we experience. Do I have the wisdom to grasp it? And maybe I never will completely understand, but I want to trust him completely with it. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time. In other words, a discernment of what is right and what is just. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your prince's feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Happy are you, O land. What's he saying? In a, in a place where people, act, they, they live nobly, they, they act nobly, uh, they're, what does it mean, feasting at the proper time? You've got, you've got, you can imagine a situation where a, a group of princes, they have so much wealth, and if they want to be greedy, they feast and get drunk in the morning. That's not, it's out of order. It's not what makes sense. Proper time, and for strength, proper motivations. Motivations are being exposed all over the place right now, right? Proper time for strength and not for drunkenness, for what is good rather than what serves myself. How am I using my time? Do I know the time? Am I using it to strengthen myself or to serve my own purposes? Jesus, in dealing with the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. He replied, You know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you do not know how to interpret the signs of the times. They did not recognize the moment in time that was full of purpose. I wonder if we have the wisdom to understand and know that every moment, every time, every day, every, every hour we live, God has purpose in it. And am I seeing him in it? Or am I just on the driven march of Kairos, the insatiable, unresolvable march to death? If I knew how many days I had left, how would I spend them? Isn't that a country song? Uh, something, something like that. I'm sure there is. There's probably dozens of them, right? Because that sounds like a country song. If I knew how much time I had left, how would I spend it? I wish I'd have spent more time at work. Well, we are called to work. You have to do that. That's maybe a little too shallow a way of thinking about it. How would I spend the time? Would I serve myself? Or would I still trust that God has purpose and for the times that I have? Do not know how to interpret the signs of the times. When we get into a toilsome way of life, and I think when I use that word toil, I certainly can relate to it. I think probably many of you can. Whereas there's just this sense of grinding and striving, trying to accomplish and succeed. And while on one hand we are called to subdue the earth and rule over it, you, you should work. You should work hard. You should, be a, you should be the best employee your boss has. These are all things that are biblical and part of our character and nature. But in that, we want to strike a balance where we do not become enslaved by our labor, by what we do, and begin to toil. 
I know what it's like to just toil in my mind. I can spend hours sitting there toiling, 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 toiling and accomplishing absolutely nothing. How did I spend that time? Did I look for the purpose in the moment or did I just toil and strive for something? Toiling erodes purpose. I might have started out with good intentions. I might have a goal that I want to achieve and it might even be from God. But if I get into a toiling heart, a self-driven, a chronos kind of idea of the way I live day in and day out, it erodes away the reason I ever started. It just washes away over time and I forget. And I just wake up every day and I just grind to get through life. But I don't think that's what God has called us to. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So what what does this have to do with it? Jesus is really profound. He, he, Jesus is, is God in the flesh, and he's teaching us how to be human is one, one way you can look at his ministry. And he, he was always going to the Father about, what is this moment for? What is this time for? Why am I here? What am I to do now? And I'm just so encouraged about this in my own life, and I hope that you are too. We can't really completely discern everything about the time without God. We may not know what he wants. We may not know what he's saying. How could we possibly do what God wants us to do if we're not going to him? Do you go to God on a regular basis? Very simple question. Do you pray on a regular basis? Are you reading his word on a regular basis? If you want to know what the time is for, what your purpose is in the moment, whether it's big picture or moment by moment, you have to go to the Father. You have to go to him asking, God, what are you doing now? How do I partner with you in this? How do I adjust? What do you want me to do? That's what Jesus did, and that's what we're called to do. So here's my exercise for you this week. And I hope, I hope you've been thinking about at least some of these as you go about your life. Because I know life is chaotic. It is driven. It is full of just that toilsomeness, if I could say it that way. But I hope that you're taking time to rest in God. And my last encouragement um, in this series from me is to stop and be generous. When you, do, when you view your time as your possession, I own it, it's mine. My precious, right? It's mine, my own. I rule it. I'm God of it. I have a limited amount of it. You know what kind of blows that out of the water? You ever, you ever went on vacation with a car full of kids? Okay, what's the, vacation? The idea of vacation is to vacate. I'm out. I leave. How many of you came back from vacation more tired than you ever left? Yes. We all understand this, right? Resting does not... Uh, we get into a toilsomeness where we're like working for the weekend. And I got to cram everything into my weekend that I possibly can so I'm happy. And I'm not happy. And I... And I I got, the, I got all the toys, I go on all the vacations, I exhaust myself with entertainment and fun, and I'm not rested. It's not restful. Vacation, what's a better way to say it? 
Um, a selfish rest is more exhausting than work itself. If I could say it that way. We have got to make God the priority. And God is very generous. He's given us a gift. Are we generous with it? Listen, we are the heirs of eternity. We're not short on time. I think about it this way. Like Sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in my 40s now. I'm running out of time. I have so much I want to do. So many places I want to see. So much stuff I want to accomplish before I die because it's over. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I don't know exactly what heaven will be like, but I know God works. I know he creates. Even in heaven, he's creative, and he made us in his image, so I suspect we're going to have things to do. We're not going to be bored. I might not get the cabin on the lake or the whatever in this life, but I've got a lot of time after this, and I probably won't look at it in a carnal way like that. I don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have lots of time, and I trust him with the limited time I have. I'm not going to get to do everything I selfishly want to do. But I wouldn't be happy if I did anyway. Because I didn't live according to his purposes, I lived for my own. How am I using my time? Am I generous with it? Here's the, here's the, uh, the principles of God in terms of generosity. Proverbs eleven twenty four: One gives freely, yet gains even more. And another withholds what is right only to become poor. Here's, here's, here's Jer's translation. If you're generous, you will continue to gain. If you're stingy, you will become poor. The more you just grip, it's like that, I can't believe I'm going to say this, Star Wars line, what is it, Princess Leia to Commander Tuck, the tighter you grip, the more star systems and slip through your fingers, right? Everything like, sure. Mm, deep. But that's what it's like. The harder we hang on to it, the more we're stingy with it, the harder our grip, the less and less and less we find that we have. But the more generous we become, the more we find that we have. A generous soul, very next verse, 11.25, a generous soul will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. God has called you to give He's called you to give in every area of your life. He's called you to generosity. It's his economy. It's not the world's economy. The world's economy is stingy, hang on, serve yourself. Gain as much as you can. God's economy is the opposite. Give it all away and watch me take care of you. We know that from Malachi when he's talking about the tithes, where, the, where they were to bring the tithes to the temple. He said, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your land and the vine of your field, nor fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. What is God's economy and his attitude? Listen, I understand that this is specifically about the tithes, but I think the principle is true throughout life. See if God doesn't open the floodgates of heaven to provide for you if you're generous, including your time. I'd be willing to bet that if you uh, consider what God's purpose for the time is and be generous with it, he will multiply it back to you. You will suddenly find that you have more time on your hands than you thought you had. Why? Because that's how God works. He responds to generosity. 
There's a sowing and a reaping in all things in God's economy. When you sow in sinfulness and destructive behavior, it, it comes to fruition sooner or later in life. You don't get away from it. Sin is destructive. When we sow it, we reap it. But when we sow in a generosity and in an alignment with God, we reap the, the fruits of that in time. And I think God wants that for our time as well. The point is this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the middle of the storms, the fear, the anger, the gross anger that's going on, the chaos, the slandering. It's really, really ugly in the world. And you know what? That's nothing new. It's been going on for ages. I want to rest in him. Come to me. Who's me? Jesus, he said. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will not really find rest for your soul until you go to God. You will not really find rest for your soul unless you go to God. What is the time for? What is the time I have? Teach me to number my days, to understand time, to see it with God's perspective, that I might be able to rest and trust in Him. Jesus is the giver of rest. Jesus is the giver. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, we need wisdom. We need a heart of wisdom. We need to understand how to number our days, how to spend our time. Lord, you gave us a mission. You gave us priorities on this earth. But there's so many things fighting for our attention and our time that are not of you. Not to be ultra-religious or legalistic about it. There's lots of things we do have to do like work. You've called us to do that. But God, help us not to be stingy of heart with our time. Help us to be submitted to you. So in the moment when someone says, hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee, maybe we stop for just a second and go, God, should I be generous with my time? Oh, I really got to do this today. I got to accomplish all these things. God, would you step in in those moments and go, but I want you to do this. I want you to give your time. I want you to sow generously. I want you to give of yourself. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. (laughs) You're not bound by time. You're not bothered by the past or the future. You are limitless. God, help us to see a bigger perspective and not get swept away in the carnality of the life that we're in. Thank you that you give us rest. Thank you that we can run to you and be at peace. Thank you that you guide our steps when it feels so out of control. I pray, Lord, that that would rest in people's hearts today. That in the middle of things being out of control, whether it's individual lives and circumstances, whether it's the bigger picture stuff, God, I pray that you would be instilling that reassurance of your power and your love in each heart. In Jesus' name, amen.